True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. I told you he wasn't going anywhere. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Wednesday, January 3rd. I am Frank Stample, joined by Chris, the Welsh. And boy, do we have some stuff to talk about. Today on the show, the Braves traded for Chris Sale. The Red Sox signed Lucas Giolito. Plus, I have the biggest ADP risers and fallers from the NFBC, that's the National Fantasy Baseball Championship, in the month of December. So, you know, who's climbing up the boards, who's falling down the boards. But first, new year, new Welsh. Look at him. No hat. He's got the, oh. the, the comb over, the slicked hair. <laughs> What's going on, Welsh? Happy New Year, man. What's up? I, I was actually thinking, I was like, I should put on a hat. This is weird. I don't often, <laughs> at least on here, I actually don't mind doing my little waft and uh, making a little uh, thing about it, but I was like, maybe I should put a hat on, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe it's one episode. New Welsh, one episode hair, and then everyone will shame me and I'll put my hat back on. No, I dig it, man. Like, if I was to do my hair, it would look something like that, but I am just, I don't know if I've ever revealed this. I'm just really lazy and I don't like doing my hair. Yeah, so that's why I wear I, a hat on this podcast. There you go. I don't either, actually. Uh, I'm <laughs> way too old to have like any type of trendy hairstyle. Like my hair should be like this, but the sides shouldn't be shaved. But hey, you know what? We'll do an episode early on January's when we can show off the hair. I'm very, very glad to be here, Frank. And good to see your face in 2024. Yeah. What'd you do for New Year's? Anything fun or, you know, in bed at 12.05? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Actually, I was staring at my NFBC draft. I've uh, did a uh, started up a DC. I think like the day before, like New Year's Eve or the day before New Year's Eve, and just kind of peruse the drafts and not go out and listen to four. It sounded like I was in a war zone with fireworks. So I had plenty going on around me to enjoy, but nothing. You, buddy? 
Yeah, I was out in Ari- uh, Arizona. Not in Come Arizona. on down. I was in Indiana visiting my sister. She just moved out there. So uh, spent the new year out there. Went to a Knicks game, Knicks Pacers. Knicks made a huge trade too, which was like oh my god, crazy stuff. Frank, but. literally, <laughs> I text him the the trade of Emmanuel quickly. I that day that it happened. I, I hope I broke the news to you. I probably didn't, but I sent it to you, and you're like, I'm going to the game tonight. So they took away RJ Barrett and quickly from you on the game that you went to, which was insane. Yes. And I already had bet on the game. I bet on the Knicks and it didn't work (laughs) out. But people don't care about basketball or the Knicks. They are here for baseball. And let's jump in because there are, you know, there were some transactions here. The Red Sox have been very busy over the past week or so. And we will start up top with Chris Sale. The Braves acquired Chris Sale from the Red Sox in exchange for Vaughn Grissom. Let's start uh, the Chris Sale side of things. He turns 35 years old in March isn't as dominant as he once was, but the skills are still there. Among starting pitchers with 100 innings pitched in 2023, Chris Sale was 9th in K-walk rate, 11th in Sierra, tied for 16th in swinging strike rate. We know the problem. He cannot stay on the field. He hasn't thrown more than 102 and two-thirds innings since 2019. The ADP since the start of December is 181.7, going just behind Carlos Rodon and Shane Bieber, just ahead of Brian Wu, and Erod. So Welsh, talk to me about this move, Chris Sale. Obviously, great run support in Atlanta. They do a great job with their pitchers, but it's a matter of him staying on the field. What do you think about Chris Sale and uh, this price tag? Around 180 is the ADP. I don't mind the price tag. I, maybe I just get a little bit dumb about it, but like you get outside like the 125, 150 range, and you're going to start building in like you know solid upside, especially from a strikeout perspective. Like I'm in for it. I, actually, I'll tell you. Frank and I were spent like probably 20 minutes before the podcast started up. We were just talking about um, both of our uh, DCs that we were doing on NFBC and just kind of draft talking about the strategy of drafting pitchers. And one of the things that I think Chris Sale could end up qualifying for is like, if you take like the team I had, I ended up taking two like lower strikeout, high uh, floor players in George Kirby and Yamamoto. But missing out on strikeouts, you can like with take some of the risk of some of the players outside the top 100 who have high strikeout upside. Now you could argue that maybe that's not quite there anymore with Chris sale, but he still had an almost 30% K percentage this past year, which was the highest he had had since 2019. It was one of the better whiff rates on his slider. He's had since 2018. Actually it's the highest 38, almost 39% whiff rate on the slider. Fastball velo is going a little bit down, but then you just bring it all back to like the Braves and the Braves and their management of pitchers and their run support. So I look at it and I go, I think there's easy top 125, even touching the hundreds upside overall. So it's really going to be like, what can I stomach with the injuries? So if I take and I have a team that has got some inning eaters early on in drafts, maybe a little bit lower strikeouts, he would become a target for me because I think there's a high potential that he can run in to a whole bunch of wins on that team. He can go deep into games. I don't think the Braves would use him a whole bunch in like an opener situation. It's just literally going to come down to health. And I think you can stomach that outside the 150. I don't, I don't know if you feel different though. No, I like it. I I, I think like you're saying, it, it comes down to roster construction with Chris sale, because if I draft a Tyler Glass now early on, I don't want to pair him with Chris Sale, right? Like if I draft Tyler Glass now, I want to pair Glass now with like Aaron Nola or Framber Valdez or Logan Webb, right? And get yeah. those innings and probably want to get at least one more innings eater type, like a Jose Barrios or a Merrill Kelly somewhere in there. 
I don't yeah, I want him. to have Chris Sale on a team with another injury-prone pitcher. And I, I understand, like, all pitchers are technically injury-prone, but the ones that we are aware of, right? Tyler Glasnow, Carlos Rodon, Shane Bieber, you Darvish coming off these injuries. With that, I do like the price tag on a lot of those names, right? Like, I kind of want to leave my draft with at least one of these quote-unquote injury-prone guys because there's a lot of upside with a Chris Sale or a Carlos Rodon. Rodon, his first season with the Yankees, complete disaster. I I think you kind of throw it out, but 2021 to 2022, he was one of the best pitchers in all baseball. I knew you were going to say Rodon. I knew you were going to say Rodon. But, you know, just to add to your point, you can also take it to not just the injury prone. The other thing you were saying, like the earlier injury prone guys, you can take it to guys that might lack innings. So with a Chris sale, a Chris sale and Radon, you would want to be careful maybe about pairing them with some of the young upside pitchers. Like how many innings can Yuri Perez? And by the way, maybe you just alluded to that and I just missed it. But like, if you have like the Grayson Rodriguez, the Yuri's or something like that, that, uh, Cole Reagans would be another example. There's a yep. little bit of volatility in there and what innings can they have? You probably want to move away from those. But if you missed out, if you missed out on a bunch of that upside and you maybe early on, you, your big risk was Tariq Skubal and Freddie Peralta, let's say. Let's say you just did that for argument's sake. Then you're going to probably avoid some of those rookies. Yeah. Then you go take, make a boring innings eater in Merrill Kelly. And then you take another upside player in Chris Sale. Those early guys... Um, I guess in this situation I just built, it's kind of the opposite. You'd want to have the team like I have. When you've got good innings eaters, they can support the risk of the Radons or the sales more than taking actually what I presented to you, the Peraltas or the Yuri Perez's, whether it's injuries or whether it's capped innings. There is a scenario where you want it, but there's also some people don't like players that um, have caveats. You know what I'm saying? Like that's Chris Sale's kind of a caveat player, but yeah. maybe he's not. Maybe Radon isn't either based on that price tag. Maybe we're presenting this whole thing and being like, well, you can do it in this scenario. But at that cost, I don't know. Maybe they're just you could do it with whatever type of build because it's, we're not talking about top 100. Yeah, he's just going so late, too. Again, this is Chris Sale. We're talking about the ADP in December, 181.7. Maybe following the trade, he climbs up a little bit, but... I like that price tag for him, and I like him getting out of the AL East because last year he got crushed by the Orioles. I don't know what it was about them. They saw him so well. In four starts against Baltimore, Chris Sale had an ERA over 10 in 2023. So I think getting out of the AL East, now he'll face the Marlins, he'll face the Nationals. You know, the Phillies obviously still have a really good lineup. The Mets, kind of so-so. I I think this is a good move for Chris Sale, and I like where he's going. I think maybe he's going to climb up a little bit. What did you say the, what were you citing? What was the ADP you were citing? In the month of December, it's a 181.7 for Chris Sale. Okay, because the only, uh, I did December 1st on in draft champions, and he had a 178. The interesting one, his his highest draft pick was 151 over the last month in draft champions. So the highest of any single pick was 151. So he still hasn't broken that seal yet, which is a good thing. Yeah. Which look, if that's his min pick after this trade happened, then it might just kind of, it might become the norm for him to go closer to that range, which, you know, if that happens, obviously we'll see the draft trends and, and we'll let you know about it. But uh, yeah, as of now, based on like 175, 180, I really like that cost for Chris Sale. Uh, let's talk about the other side of this trade. Red Sox chief baseball officer Craig Breslow said the team views Vaughn Grissom as its everyday second baseman. And I do think there is some upside here. Grissom has good contact skills to go along with modest power and speed. We saw in 41 games in 2022 with the Braves, five homers, five steals. This year in the minors, Vaughn Grissom hit 330, eight home runs, 13 steals, 
in 102 games at AAA. Uh, his ADP since December 1st, obviously before this trade, was 383.6. And my guess is, I, maybe I'm being too aggressive with this, I think he moves up like 100 spots. I think he goes inside the top 300 because he's getting everyday playing time. It's a good ballpark to hit in. Uh, and there is some power and speed. So what do you think about the price tag? Where does this get for Vaughn Grissom? Does he get inside the top 300? Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I actually put him in after the trade. I just finalized my uh, first set of redraft ranks and he's inside my top 300. I'd say just barely, by the way, because there's a pretty robust middle infield um, that you get to choose from. I think... I think if I remember correctly, I actually don't think he qualifies at second. No, he's shortstop only to start. Yeah. Yeah. So he's only at shortstop. So that kind of pushes him down. If you know you can get him at second base later on, I'm not sure it really changes a whole bunch. In like an NFPC draft and hold, I'm a lot more interested in him. In deeper leagues, I would hold him as a bench spot, knowing he's going to get a little bit more flexibility. But, you know, getting that bat live, that's the thing that kept him around was uh, as much as he was. They didn't trust the defense, was the bat was live. He hit pretty well last year against lefties and righties, 265 against lefties, 293 short sample size and righties. He was a tiny, I mean, 10 at bats in the uh, the second half of uh, the pre-post All-Star break splits. But I mean, he hit relatively well. May was his only big struggle. I think there's 15 to 20 home run power. I think he can steal. I'd like to see some better contact. The batting average stabilized, like his expected batting average to actual batting average were like within like 0.01, I think, of each other. I think it was 280 to 279 expected batting average. But I think worst case scenario, he's probably like a 15-10, 15-15 type of guy. But with every day at bats in that ballpark, I and maybe even hits higher in the lineup based on what they're doing. I think there's a lot of like offensive potential that maybe he could break out and that bat just goes nuts. But um, he's a good bet at the end of drafts right now. And an idea that I have for a podcast coming up soon is I want to try and find sneaky lineups that you want to get a part of this season. And I think the Red Sox are going to be one of those for me because I Mm. I just kind of like what they're doing, right? Bringing in Tyler O'Neill if he's healthy, obviously that's always a big question mark. But they have mainstays. They have Rafael Devers. Tristan Casas looks like... He's getting ready to like really break out. He technically already did last year. Trevor Story, another year removed from injury. Yoshida looked great last year. A lot of smart people like Jaron Duran and Willie Abreu. I, I kind of feel like the Red Sox lineup could be sneaky good this year. Let, let me ask you something real quick. Do you think, because this is really interesting, I'm looking at roster resource. They've got Duran leading off, but they also have the Red Sox going three straight lefties. That's not happen. We're not going to do that. I, I don't see that happening. And Yoshida is a lefty. If you want to talk about the leadoff spot, do you think there's any scenario? I mean, the one thing Grisham has done is he has hit for batting average. Uh, do you think there's a possibility we could see him hit higher in a lineup based on every other bat I'm seeing? You know, you want to dream on Willier, Abreu, um, or Yoshida. These are all lefties. It is a lefty parade. And then Grisham comes in as one of the few righties that's out there. They, I suppose they could go Trevor Story. Do you see a scenario where Story or where uh, Grisham could jump up in the lineup? Because he's currently scheduled to hit eighth. I don't think it's crazy. I think. If he hits well, maybe there's a chance they do it against like left-handed pitching. And more on Jaron Duran a little bit later on. He is one of the ADP risers we'll talk about, but he was actually pretty good against lefties last year. Like He made a lot of improvements, so yeah. maybe he's just an everyday player, but that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, maybe Von Grissom kind of in a platoon role moves up against lefties and he's like a little bit uh, lower down against right-handed pitching. But I, I wouldn't say it's crazy because, again, he's flashed some power and speed, some contact, good batting average. I like it. I think Vaughn Grissom is someone who will be inside the top 300. And uh, if you play in a Roto or Categories League, 
draft him as like your middle infielder or maybe even a bench option for as late as he's going to go. Steamer projections, 285 batting average, only uh, it's essentially like a 10, 10 guy, but in like 120 games. So if you span that out, they're probably projecting 15, 15 with a really high batting average. So, yeah. Hey, it's hard to chase batting average. I think they say the, uh, we heard a first pitch. The hardest thing to get off the wire is getting batting average. This might be one of those few cases of someone that can bring you some high batting average. Maybe there's more offensive upside. Yep. Yeah. Quickly run through the rotations for both of these teams, the Braves and the Red Sox following this trade. And for the Braves, they have Spencer Schrider. They have Max free, Charlie Moore, Morton, Chris Sale, and it turns out Bryce Elder will be competing with Ronaldo Lopez and AJ Smith Chauver for their fifth starter spot. And then the Red Sox rotation, which look, they needed pitching this offseason, and uh they just traded away Chris Sale. They made another move that we'll talk about. But uh as of now, Brian Bayo, Nick Pavetta, who, if you listen to our podcast yesterday with Lance Brazdowski, he does like as a sleeper quite a bit. Uh Tanner Houck, Cutter Crawford, and their newest addition. Lucas Giolito. So let's talk about Giolito, who signed a two-year, $38.5 million deal on Friday of last week. And uh, Giolito, if you look at 2019 through 2021, was really performing like a borderline SP1, top 10, top 12 starting pitcher. But since 2022, it has gone the opposite way. We're talking 63 starts. This is a big sample size with a 489 ERA and a 137 whip. Still gives you the strikeouts, over a strikeout per inning during that time, but the walks and the home runs have really piled up here for Giolito. There's a lot in terms of like the mechanics with him and the velocity. It's like if his, if his mechanics are going well and he can command and you know the fastball velocity is up around 94, then I think we could see an effective Giolito, but that has not happened very much over the past two years, and now he finds himself in Boston in the ALE. So the ADP since December 1st is 222.6. I can't do it, Welsh. I, I'm I'm not going to do the Lucas Giolito thing. There are pitchers that are going after him that I think are more interesting. I have no, I have no interest in Giolito. Like I actually think he's like a really smart guy. The problem is, is I just don't think he can land anything. Land on anything. You were talking. You were kind of talking about the mechanics. Well. I think it was two years ago, he was throwing inside his body. And if, if, if people remember, there's a lot of discourse about it where he like would keep his arm inside and try to throw disaster. Then he opened it back up. Disaster. He I was like 282 years ago because he's a big dude. He's like two inches taller than me. It's like six, six or whatever. Like 280 didn't work. Lost a bunch of weight this past offseason. None of it keeps working. And he and he's chasing himself. He's always chasing to try to find the next thing that's going to repair whatever was lost, like you mentioned a couple of years ago, I'm just not into it. He had a little bit of velo increase this year. Great. But he had whiff decreases kind of across the board outside of his slider. He's inconsistent. He's getting barreled up. He hit 11% barrel percentage against this year, which is the first time he's ever had a double digit percentile. Hard hit numbers are still blah three straight years of being in like the top 10 percentile of uh worst hard hit. And now you're going to put him in the AL East. No, thanks. Yeah. No, thanks. I, I'm not about it either with Julito. Maybe he refunds his form and makes us, eat our, does. makes us eat our words. But right now, again, the ADP is not prohibitive 222, but some names going after him. Shota Imanaga. I want to see where he winds up. I'm pretty interested in the player. Christopher Sanchez with the Phillies, who was awesome last year. And maybe people just aren't buying it, but, I kind of like him. So those are just two examples of... I got one for you. Yep. Who you got? Well, what did you say Giolito's uh, ADP was? 222.6. How about Giolito or at 297, your love, Lance Lynn? Oh, With gosh. the Cardinals. 
<laughs> Ballpark uh, factor. Yeah. Maybe Lance. You know, I got to think more about it, but like, I guess Lance Lynn kind of has a lot of the same issues, right? Like he just got crushed last year. He gave up so many home runs. It's a better park. Uh, I think I would probably go Gilito there, but like, I don't know. I think I'm probably just overlay. I'm probably just over Lance Land and I'm probably just not going to draft either of those. Yeah, guys. don't do any of them either. One. Yeah, uh, let's move on to the Reds, who signed Frankie Montas to a one-year, sixteen million dollar deal. Pretty surprising. Uh, you look, it's the the one-year prove-it deal. I think the money, at least in my opinion, a little bit high. Sixteen million for Frankie Montas here, who nearly missed all of 2023 after undergoing arthroscopic shoulder surgery. Last February, he did make it back for one appearance with the Yankees towards the end of the season. He averaged just 94.3 miles per hour in that outing. Again, it was just one outing. It's a super small sample size. But he averaged around 96 miles per hour with the fastball in 2022. So we've seen Montas be a very useful fantasy starter when he's healthy. But A, we have no idea about the health. Now he's going to Great American Ballpark 2. Look, the ADP, he's free. He's like 365.1. Well, so you think there's any chance you could see yourself kind of buying in on a super, super cheap Frankie Montas with the Cincinnati Reds? Probably not. I think he I think he's designed to be a uh, streamer at this point, a matchup streamer. I'd probably be into, especially if he shows some signs of that velo increase. I think that's going to be super important. Two mile per hour decrease from year over year. It's not like he's a massive home run issue guy, but now you're going to put him in, uh, in Great American's ballpark? No, thanks. I will pay attention to see if the velo comes back and I'll try to probably target road starts if I were to do it. Maybe it'll maybe it'll work out early on, but there's I don't think there's anything that's like telling us, at least in more recent history, why we should. And then you put them in like the worst ballpark you possibly could. Nah, I, I would rather uh, bank on Nick Lodolo this year, which I have no idea what the ADP is uh, comparatively. But like Lodolo, if I were buying back into a Reds pitcher, it'd be him, not Frankie Montas. So in the month of December, Lodolo was at 240.9 and uh, Montas was 365. So yeah. pretty massive difference. But Yeah, it's a big massive difference, but yeah. both like to, to like what you said earlier, they're both kind of free. Outside right. the 200, those are kind of free players. I would do the bet on Lodolo 10 out of 10 times before Montas. Some other news, the latest on Wander Franco. He met with authorities in the Dominican Republic on Monday, and then we got another update that he was arrested by authorities after he failed to appear at a summons last week. There was some kind of stuff about how he he fired his lawyers, and so that's why he didn't show up to the summons. Look, it's obviously a very messy situation. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't think anybody does, but that's the latest on Wander Franco. Yeah, the, 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 the interesting thing to point out to, you said the first part that he's he had new lawyers, so that's why he didn't show up. He was arrested for not showing up. That was the arrest. That's where some of the confusion yeah. uh, came out. I will say one thing: he should not take any pictures right now. Like that picture, that smiling picture in the detention center was just like, let's not see any of Wander. Let's not let let's lawyers. Let's keep all of that. As a, it's all messy, but like that situation is nuts. But he did get arrested for not showing up to that first arraignment. But it ain't looking good. Uh, Manny Machado might not be ready to play defense on opening day. That doesn't mean he won't be ready. Uh, But that would limit him to DH early on in the season. He is recovering from elbow surgery. Not Tommy John. It was something different, like a tennis elbow injury. But uh, it's probably going to take us right up to spring training. and, And we'll see how he progresses then. According to Dennis Lynn of The Athletic, Robert Suarez is the Padres' projected closer even after the team's addition of Yuki Matsui. Eh. 
I still kind of think it's like going to be fluid and it's going to go based on how these guys are performing. Uh, but I think if you want to follow the money, if nothing else, Robert Suarez is making more of it. So perhaps he gets the first shot. He is right-handed versus like a smaller lefty in Yuki Matsui. But they signed Matsui for a reason. So we'll see. Yeah. I don't believe you. I'm going with Matsui in drafts. That's where my investment has been in. I mean, you cited you were one of the first people to do it. Like, I mean, this is a career saves guy. Like, this is what he is built to do. Lefty advantage. I don't know. I, I definitely think there's a committee in play. And Suarez is costing more, I think, than Matsui right now. I'm drafting Matsui in leagues. So I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. And lastly, the Angels signed Zach Plesak, but... That doesn't really matter for fantasy. So let's take our first break. And when we return, we'll talk about the biggest ADP rises, uh, risers in the month of December. We'll do that right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball today. Let's go through the ADP risers in the month of December. So the way that I did this is I looked at drafts from October through November, and then I compared their ADP to just December. And these are the names that are were the biggest risers inside of the top 100. So we'll start there up at the top. And Yamamoto, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, we have talked about him a lot recently for good reason. Uh, his ADP... Went from 81.5 in October, November, up 22 spots to 59.3 in December. And uh, if between Eno Saris' article where he was pumping up Yamamoto and signing with the Dodgers, obviously it's an amazing team. They do great work, work with their pitchers. Going to be a lot of run support as well. I'm in a draft right now. I'm in a 15-team, 5x5, Roto, draft and hold. He went at pick 47 in that draft as the SP 12 off the board. Welsh, what do you think about that price tag? Well, uh, I took him in my DC 15 team Roto in the fourth round. So I took George Kirby in the third round, which was, um, God, I'm trying to do the math here. It was probably pick like, it'd be 30. That would be but, but, but like 37. So I guess I took Yamamoto at roughly pick like 52. 
right around there. So I'm, I'm kind of on board. I will say I was a little bit torn just where I wanted to go in general, but I don't know. I think sometimes there's the mystery of these pitchers and like, you know, what could be, I didn't have the, the decision between Trick Scooble and him. And I would have gone with a guy like Scooble for those high case uh, upside. But one thing that pushed me to want to go with Yamamoto is we saw some of the success, especially the strikeout success with Senga this year. We've got a really interesting delivery that's going to be in play for a lot of hitters to adjust to. And this isn't like a when we talk about delivery and like the IVB, the uh, inverted break that he has is like pretty wild for his extension and his size. It was like 20 inch. That's like a big, that's a, that's a big IVB of 20 point, whatever it was for a five foot 10 pitcher. My point of this is this is a guy that has a unique skill set with high command. And I think that can lead to low whip numbers and might help with the ERA on arguably the most dominant team right now with the run support and innings. And I think if we kind of look at where Senga was, I think Senga's of all starting pitcher, Senga's uh, fork, ghost fork was the highest whiffed single pitch of a starter this year. It was like 59 point something percent. If I'm, I might remember, I might be misremembering that a little bit, but I'm pretty sure it was the highest single pitch of any starting pitcher's pitch. So if we're talking about a guy that has a similar ghost fork with command, I think there's really high strikeout potential. So this all comes back around to say, like, we got to take our shots. People are taking their shots on Trey Scooble as a top 10 SP. Why not Yamamoto on a Dodgers team for a pitcher that can eat innings that just signed a big deal and they're expecting him to come in and eat those innings in immediately that I felt it was a perfect pairing with a guy like Kirby. So I can't really pick apart what you're talking about because I took him only a couple spots later than what that uh, men was, I think. Or where you went in yours. Yeah, so he went pick 47. Again, the ADP in December was 59.3. I think you even throw that ADP out. I think that's gone. Yeah. I think he's up around 10 more spots, right? He's he's probably going in the uh, you know 45 to 50 range, I, I would say. That's kind of where it's going to settle in. That's for- where mine was. Yeah. And his men, 30 since December 1st in draft champions. If you just sort by draft champions... 30, he went overall in a draft. That's where we're heading. I think if someone is listening to this into the future, hello, if you're in March, I will bet you we are inside the top 40 and the men is closer to 25 to 20, somewhere in that range, especially for like NFBC drafts. It might be a little bit different for some uh, more like consumer fun uh, leagues that people play in, but also put into consideration like points leagues. I know SPs, in some regards get pushed in points leagues weirdly that he's the type of guy that screams like, Oh my gosh, the strikeouts, maybe low walks, dodge wins. I mean, he might be glorious in points league. He could push top 20. That's where we're heading for better, for worse. Yeah. And he was an innings eater in Japan too. So if you start to get quality starts in a points league and obviously the win potential is really great. So he's giving you the innings and he's got good command and the strikeout should be there. I, look, we've talked about him a lot recently, and rightfully so. He's on the rise, and I think he's going to continue to rise. I have four other pitchers here. O- oddly enough, the biggest risers all inside of the top 100 were all pitchers. So the other four names, Pablo Lopez is up 12 spots from yeah. ADP 51 to 39. And I, I think this is people just kind of piecing together how good he was last year and the adjustments he made. And the Twins do great work with their pitchers. And... Pablo Lopez, I mean, the velocity was up. He added this new sweeper. But I'm just going to throw all these names your way, and you kind of let me know which one you might 
buy into at the new price or which one you, you're fading at the new price. Hazel Lazardo is up 10 spots from 90 to 80. Bobby Miller up 10 spots from 84 to 74. And Joe Ryan is up eight spots from 95 to 87. So four more big risers here. Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lazardo, Bobby Miller, Joe Ryan. Is there a name or two that stands out that you would still target at the increased price tag and maybe one that you'd be looking to fade? I'd like to say Pablo. I think I'm going to start being out on Pablo. We're getting crazy. I mean, it was... uh, our buddy Vlad uh, Sedler mentioned it on Twitter that uh, you know he had a draft where Pablo went three SP and didn't make it out of the second round. I think part of the reason is it, when you start to like look under the hood, you see the expected numbers, you see kind of just the eliteness as far as strikeouts go, and you know what completely changed when that sweeper came into play. Like he's super exciting, and there's a feel for more upside, but the cost is becoming like really really high like you you could pass on pablo and maybe get luis castillo later or you can get uh probably not wheeler but maybe goss i mean it's just what you can do past pablo is pushing me out i'm super interested in bobby miller i would personally love for him to not move a whole bunch higher Uh, obviously a lot of people like him eno likes him i jump out when i i've I've said this a bunch of times but i look at stuff plus numbers um bobby miller 125 on the fastball and 125 in the secondary. Only three pitchers registered that. Tyler Glass now, him and Hunter Green. But Bobby Miller also had four pitches that had 100 plus stuff plus, which just means those pitches are really good. And he's on a Dodgers team. So I like Bobby Miller and I actually also like Joe Ryan. I think Joe Joe Ryan is in that Pablo Lopez mold a little bit light. And um, I kind of want him as a guy that I think could eat some innings this year as well. So Bobby Miller and Joe Ryan, I will probably uh, invest in a decent amount of drafts. I think I'm priced out of Pablo Lopez right now, and I'm not enamored with uh, Jesus Lazardo. He's just not really a draft target of mine. Yeah, Pablo, if it stays at 39, I could still be in. If he starts to push ahead of that group you mentioned, Castillo, Gosman, Wheeler, no way. I mean, those guys are just more proven. They've done it for longer. Uh, They're... Is not as much of an injury track record. I know Pablo Lopez has been healthy the past two years, 180 plus innings in each of those, but he still did have a sh- like some shoulder things a couple of years ago. Uh, but if it stays around 39, I think I could be in on Pablo Lopez. I didn't finish my rankings yet, but I think he's going to be like a top 10 starting pitcher for me. I agree okay. with you on Lazardo. Very streaky, gives up a lot of hard contact. I think people are kind of falling in love with the strikeouts here, which I get, but. I think I agree with you. Like, not really a target, if, especially if he's going to be on the rise, like around ADP I, eighty. Seems I I like high. Scott's mantra, I, and I I've cited in a couple places. Like, I think Scott is is on to a, a good perspective for this year. It's like you do want to target high strikeout starting pitchers, and I know that can seem so arbitrary, like, Ugh, but no, like move them up, move up that upside. But it doesn't mean I still don't want to pick and choose some of those. And I want to be yeah. a little bit more finicky about the guys that I do decide. Like I'm going to, I'm be more aggressive on Yamamoto for him qualifying, not only as like I, what I think could be a higher strikeout guy, but like the, the high floor, uh, floor, but guys like glass. Now I'm moving up. I can't move them all up. I don't want to move them all up. Like I want glass now and Scooble specifically. I'm not as super interested in Peralta. I'm not as super interested in Lazardo. And then we move down a little bit, like maybe a Cole Reagan. So I, I, I want to take his philosophy and I want to be a little bit more picky about it. But overall, I think that's a good way to go. And that just leads to what you were saying. That is part of the reason that Lazardo is just coming up because of the high strikeout upside. 
Yeah, and again, it's like the biggest risers are all pitchers, and it's yeah. it's only January, right? We we normally see that as draft season goes on, pitching tends to rise, especially in like February and March once the big drafts roll around. It's already rising, and it's like this is only December ADP. So I yeah, I think it's remember be- when everyone's gonna like not draft pitching. Remember this year that ah we're done. There's globs, all the globs, and everyone's just gonna just yeah. go later. That's not happening, and and it is important to know though, and I say this a lot to people. NFBC is a different beast than like what you might play in your home points. Like I'm not saying that they're not the same. Of course they are, but like you will have a lot of value driven from the way NFBC drafts are approached. And that might not equate to yours. And that's kind of the goofy thing because like you see catchers rise and pitchers rise and saves rise a whole bunch in NFBC drafts that might not quite jump to everybody. So you do have to like keep your ears uh, to the ground on that whole thing because we literally were two and a half months ago talking about like, we're probably going to just avoid pitching. And now it's like, if you don't have two pitchers by the fifth round, buddy, you're in trouble. You're, I mean, in these 15 team leagues, you're going to be behind the eight ball on a lot of people. No, I think it's a good point. You have to kind of recalibrate because, again, not everyone is playing at, over at the NFBC. In fact, I would say you know, the vast majority listening to this podcast probably aren't. But I think it's good to know which players are rising in that format because yeah. these are really smart people who are putting their money on the line. And I'm not saying that like people who play at the NFBC don't get things wrong. Everybody gets things wrong. But I think it's good to follow draft trends from like, some of the smartest people in the industry. So that's why we are talking about these players. And I just wanted to quickly mention Bobby Miller. I am in like, even at 74, I, I I agree. I don't want him to rise much more than that because I mean, if we're talking 12 team league, that's now like the six, seven turn, you know, I I don't really want Bobby Miller as my two. I'd love for him to be my three, but I mean, in a 15 teamer, he's probably going to be your two, like the the way that it's trending. Right. Um, But man, the stuff plus you mentioned, it was fifth best among starting pitchers with at least 120 innings. Gets a good amount of ground balls. He made a pitch mix change in the second half last year. This is Bobby Miller, where he threw more curveballs. That looks like an elite pitch for him. He has elite level velocity, pitches on a great team. There's just so much to like about Bobby Miller. The one that I don't agree with is Joe Ryan. And he is up eight spots from 95 to 87. Steamer projections love him. And I think that might be playing a factor here because they have Joe Ryan as the SP24. Uh, when you run all the numbers through the auction calculator, that's what you get. Steamer projections, SP24 for Joe Ryan. I just don't know if he has enough outside of his fastball. And it's a deceptive fastball. He kind of is doing this new trick like other players in the league where he's throwing that fastball up and it's deceptive and he's getting whiffs on that pitch. But he gives up a lot of home runs. And he just ended this past season with a 451 ERA. So I know the strikeouts are really tantalizing. The K minus walk rate's awesome. But Joe Ryan has a real home run problem. And uh, yeah, if he's going inside the, like, there's no way I could take Joe Ryan inside the top 100, let alone now he's up to 87. I, I, I can't do it. So I think, I mean, I'm, I like it because, again, my flavor of starting pitcher tends to be like lower walk type of guys. And and that's where he thrived this year. 5%. He was in the top 8% of the league with almost a 30% K rate. He had a full better, full run, better expected uh, ERA than his actual ERA. 4.51 to 3.53. And I, I know we're, you know, we're picking on the home runs and stuff, but there was a pretty severe like pitch 
change that happened, not only like dominantly adding the split finger, but the sweeper then took over because the year before it was fastball slider, change up and heavy fastball. This year, split finger almost became 30% of the pitch. And then the sweeper became over 10% and that held a 32% whiff rate, the highest that he's had of any single pitch over the last two years. So I think there's a big change that happened. We saw how successful Pablo was. Joe Ryan with low walks, good strikeouts, and that I, I think there's still improvement to be there. The expected numbers say it. I get some of the concerns and stuff like that because it's not a dominant fastball whatsoever. So the split finger and sweeper have to improve. But I guess I'm willing to take that bet around the hundreds. But yeah, don't don't make it any higher well, I'm, I'm not gonna pay for joe ryan into the 70s or anything like that yeah look he absolutely could improve and make me look dumb i mean the first two months of last season or maybe even the first three months you know i didn't like joe ryan last year either and he made me look completely foolish and then it went sideways he was yeah. pitching through an injury for some time so maybe that factored in those secondaries have to improve it's possible but if they don't I think home runs are still going to continue to be a really, really big problem for Joe Ryan. Uh, and at that cost, I'm currently passing. I'm going to throw five names your way, the the five biggest risers inside of 100 to 200. So now we're moving on to like, you know, the next 100 picks in the draft. And Jordan Montgomery, surprising to me, of 20 spots from 155 to 135, going just ahead of Chris Bassett, Michael King, Gavin Williams, Merrill Kelly. Uh, Jaron Duran mentioned the name earlier. He's up 20 spots. I think it's just projections coming out and people starting to realize like outfield is not very good and there is an interesting power speed combo there with Jaron Duran. Yainer Diaz is up 17 spots from 124 to 107. He did get a vote of confidence from general manager Dana Brown, said that Yainer Diaz will be the main guy at catcher in 2024. There's a lot to like. Contact rate. Home runs, good power there with Diaz. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, he's up 16 spots, up to 182. I think this is mostly because he signed, and he signed with a good team, with a really good defense. So uh, I think that's fine at the cost. And Glaber Torres is up 13 spots from 107 to 94. And a lot of the drafts done at the NFBC right now are 15-teamers. So I think people are valuing floor, and I think Glaber Torres has a really good floor. I think he's rock-solid. A little bit of power and speed. He's entering a contract year, 27 years old. He's he's in his prime, so I think it's fine. Um, but is there anyone here that stands out to you, Welsh, in these risers? Maybe either in a good way or a bad way. Glaber Torres, Erod, Yainer Diaz, Jaron Duran, and Jordan Montgomery, your five biggest risers from 100 to 200. I'm not super interested in Jordan Montgomery. I just point that out. Like he's the exact opposite of everything we talked about from like high strikeouts. We don't know where he's going to go. I kind of still assume that Texas is on the table and there's win opportunities, but I, I guess I shouldn't say he's like contingent where he goes, but I don't know a little bit. Uh, Gleyber Torres is the one that I really complete like turnabout. I had this past year changes profile 14% under 15% strikeout rate, which was in the best nine percentile of the league. He destroyed sliders in 2022 Torres was swinging at 25 and 30%, 33% of the time, on the out middle outside quadrants of the zone. So 25% in the middle and 33% on the outside quadrants of the zone. 
he lowered that to 13 and 20%. So he just stopped chasing overall on the outside portions of it, which just made him an overall better uh, hitter. And the, the hard hit numbers have been there. I mean, everything else speaks for itself as far as like the dominant stolen bases we saw early on in this past year, the strikeout numbers uh, in the nine percentile with a double digit walk rate. I absolutely fell in love with. And I think Glaber might end up being the guy I have way more shares than I expected of also on the, if you break down the pitches like fastball breaking off speed, he significantly lowered his whiff percentage just completely across the board while still maintaining 40% hard hit rate. I think, I think Claver Torres in that hitting environment is going to be solid Homer, solid uh, stolen bases. And the most important thing to me was him becoming a better hitter. Like I know you could hear that, thing I mentioned about sliders and just be like, okay, whatever. But it's just like, he's not, he's finding his pitch. He's avoiding this outside garbage. Sliders destroyed him last year. He fixed that. And guess what? He actually became one of the more prolific non-strikeout players this year who can hit homers and steal bases in a great ballpark. So uh, Glaber Torres is somebody that I'm going to have probably a decent amount of investment in this year. The ADP up to 94 in December going ahead of Bryson Stott and Andres Jimenez. Does that sound right for Glaber Torres? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of like Stott. I would uh, I would take him over Jimenez, though. I, people chasing the stolen bases. I, I think Glaber Torres is like a more complete player. 282 XBA, too, by the way. So yeah. um, Stott is a little bit closer, but I prob- I still I think I have Glaber over both of them. I want to quickly mention the top five risers between 200, picks 200 and 300. Craig Kimbrell, this is a very obvious one. He's up over 100 spots from 232 to 127. In December, he signed to be the Orioles' closer. He's going just ahead of names like Kenley Jansen, Clay Holmes, Adbert Alzali. And frankly, I'm fine with it. Uh, we had Greg Jewett on the podcast last week, and he's like, yeah, that, that's where Craig Kimbrell is going to yeah. wind up in ADP, and he deserves to go there. Jackson Churio is up 63 spots to pick 139, one of the top prospects in all of baseball. He signed an eight-year extension on December 3rd, and Brewers GM Matt Arnold said that Churio will have a chance to make the team's Opening day roster up to 139 ahead of names like Cedric Mullins, Santander, TJ Friedel, Ian Happ, just behind Evan Carter. What do you think of this new price tag on uh, Jackson Churio? So I'd love for it to be cheaper, but I have him higher in my ranks than where he's going. Like, I don't want to say significantly, but enough. I have him ahead of all of those guys. I'm in. I'm... I'm trying to be aggressive early on right now to establish some of the rookies that I think are going to be of impact this year. And I'm very aggressive. I think I'm probably from a rank perspective, I haven't seen everybody's. So I'm not trying to be like, Ooh, look at me, but I'm probably more aggressive from an overall rank on white Lankford. Um, been digging around and poking around and, uh, you know, trying to see the legitimacy of white Lankford getting an opportunity. And from some connects that I have, it is legit, legit for him to have an opportunity to break. And the expectation is he will break the major league roster. The same thing with Churio. I'm also ranking guys like Jackson holiday higher. Cause I believe like those three specifically are guys that have very high likelihoods of breaking camp. Churio and Langford are the ones that I'm hyper-focused on. And yeah, I've got Churio inside my top 125, So I'm game. All right, the other three names, big risers here in 200 to 300. Jamer Candelario up 59 spots, up to 216. He signed with the Reds on December 7th, and I'm totally down with it. 30 years old, coming off his best season, 22 homers, eight steals. Just signed a three-year, $45 million contract with Cincinnati. They have a logjam. Candelario is not part of it. He is going to play 
in an up-and-coming lineup in one of the best ballparks in all of baseball. So I am in at 216 on Candelario. Jose Alvarado is up from 247 to 194. I think people are just kind of assuming Alvarado will be the Phillies' closer. They haven't done anything yet this offseason. Again, we had Greg Jewett on last week. I recommend listening to that. He kind of speculated Alvarado and Jeff Hoffman early in the year until Orion Kirkering is ready to take over. So I would say maybe play it a little bit cautious with uh, Alvarado right now, not just assuming he's going to be the guy for sure. And Tyler O'Neill up 45 spots up to 242, and he was traded to the Red Sox on December 8th. And very clearly, they went out, they got him. They wanted Tyler O'Neill. He's going to play. He's got the green monster. And I just think a general rule with Tyler O'Neill is buy whenever he's coming off a down year, an injured year. And at 242, I mean, this guy was a top 30 player, you know, in 2021. So I, I like it. I like the cost. Again, I'm, I think the Red Sox lineup is really sneaky. So I, I do like uh, where Tyler O'Neill is going. And I think it's actually going to continue to rise and probably get closer to the top 200 as well. Also remember um, uh, Scott's statement that I, I've kind of taken in my head as well is when in doubt, draft outfield because outfield kind of gets away from you. Anytime yeah. you can find post 200 outfield targets that have, I mean, I guess it's subjective, but it's like, you know, uh, quite a bit of upside in their lineups and whatnot. I, Take that and run. And Tyler O'Neill, I completely agree, is one of those players who's going far outside the top 200 that is on a sneaky lineup, is going to be in a sneaky portion of the lineup for runs, RBIs. With that position kind of stanking a little bit, especially as it gets deeper, you should really be paying attention and be willing to jump a little bit on Tyler O'Neill. And even with the injuries, if he plays 120, 130 games, I still think O'Neill could get to 25 homers, 10 to 15 steals. Maybe that's just optimistic, but... You know, when he's on the field, I I think he's going to be pretty good with Boston. So I I like the cost there, and I agree with the rise in Tyler O'Neill. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll take a look at the biggest followers in ADP in December. We'll do that right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome back in. Let's take a look at the biggest ADP fallers in the month of December. Again, this is comparing October and November NFBC ADP to only the month of December. These are the biggest fallers inside of the top 100. Josh Young. I think people might be listening to Scott White on this one because uh, he is down 14 spots from pick 91 to 105. Christian Yelich is down 12 spots from 73 to 85. Jazz Chisholm down 10 spots from 64 to 74. Yuri Perez down 10 spots from 63 to 73. Interesting. And Nick Castellanos down 10 spots from 102 to 112. I'm trying to make sense of it all. I think 
maybe with Josh Young is the fact that there are other third basemen going later on that are also pretty interesting. Jake Berger, Candelario, as I mentioned. The plate discipline is obviously subpar for Josh Young, but man, he still hits the ball really hard. Uh, I I think I'm still in. Like I, I'd be buying on, on Josh Young at 105. I think that's fine. Uh, Yelich, I think it was kind of finished the season hurt and not as good over the final two months of the year. Jazz Chisholm, he underwent surgery to repair turf toe in mid-October. Uh, so he is out 12 weeks. That brings us to the end of January. So I guess we'll have to see how Jazz Chisholm is looking in uh, spring training. And he's dealt with, obviously, lots of injuries. Yuri Perez, I think maybe when things started off in the offseason, people were just a touch high on him. And the steamer projections don't really like him. They have him as the SP 47 if you run it through the auction calculator. So I think maybe that's playing a factor. Uh, Nick Cassianos, I'm not entirely sure. Like, he had a really good year. Uh, I, I think with his plate discipline, it's probably a matter of when, not if, he kind of, like, has this Javier Baez fallout because, like, the plate discipline is just so bad with Cassianos. But... Well, so what do you think about the fall on these five and, and maybe if you're looking to uh, to buy the dip on any of them? Well, I definitely am a buy the dip on Jazz guy. I know the risk. Uh, he might be a, a new Giancarlo Stanton type where it's just we wait to see what the new injury is every single year. But his fantasy upside is crazy. He actually fell quite a bit in my um, in my DC, which I did not expect he was going to do. And I was a little like I kept battling and I kept picking somebody else. But that is someone with 30, 30 upside. So you're literally just coming to terms with like, is he going to get hurt again? It's really not. I really don't think it's a, too much of a crazy performance based issue. I mean, he, there are strikeouts in play. And that kind of takes me back to like Josh. Young. I'm I'm not enamored with Josh Young this year. Everything you said, I think he's fine. I just think there's massive strikeout issues. And unlike a guy like Jazz, Jazz has the stolen bases to kind of cure that. Young, I wouldn't, I'm not going to like put any major injury, though he's had injury stuff. I'm not going to put major injury stuff on Josh Young. But, you know, a lot of that also came from like a big powered offense this past year with the Rangers, which I'm not sure it goes completely away, but 75 runs in 120 games. They're barely projecting him more run in RBI in 150 games this year because it was kind of out of this world on the offensive potential. And then just coming back to it, like I think he's a fine third baseman with probably the biggest strikeout worries at that position right now. So I don't get hyper-focused unlike with a Jazz or an Ellie on a guy like him with those same strikeout issues because he serves absolutely no stolen bases for me. So yeah. it's okay. Uh, but like you said it before, there's other guys at that position that I'm, um, you know, that I think I can fill at, at least adequately or, you know, guys like Spencer Steer that offer maybe similar counting stats with better stolen bases, uh, maybe a little bit less run in RBI. But Jazz is one that I'm buying because I like the stolen base potential and I'm probably less interested and I agree with the dip on Josh Young. So with Josh Young, completely hear you on the strikeouts. The only thing is that this is someone who had prospect pedigree, like top prospect, hits the ball extremely hard, and he's part of a great lineup, right? Like he's sure. basically lived up to what we expected so far. He looked great in the postseason too after he returned from that injury. So I just think there's a chance that we can get like an Austin Riley light type season from Josh Young. You know, two, I don't disagree with you. 270, 30 homers, 100 RBI, which for where he's going is really good. But to your point, the strikeout risk is like, what's the, does he hit 270 or does he hit 240? Or 250. Yeah, I, and that, the thing that's he has, the big key. That's the difference. And the thing he has going for him is like, an improved playoff is great because he had like, 
an awful into the season when he came back. Yeah. Uh, 229. He hit 229 in the second half comparative to pre-All-Star break of 280. That's kind of aligned in there. So I'm open to it. I'm just like, I think the fall is more warranted. I am more interested in him right outside the top 300, especially if I did not fill that position. And if I'm looking for some more power numbers, if I'm looking for, you know, high RBI with uh, maybe 30 plus homer potential, I can do that. I just don't want to take that risk inside the, you know, 90s, like where it was last month or, or in the 80s where some of the men's go. The Yuri Perez drop down 10 spots from 63 to 73 in December, going right around Bobby Miller. Which one would you rather have? Uh, Bobby Miller. Same. Bobby Miller. I, <laughs> I want to love Yuri. You know, I actually think an interesting one was like Yuri next to Grayson was one that was kind of floating around. And I think the strikeout potential is higher with Grayson, but I think Yuri is just a more complete pitcher. I just, I don't know exactly what those innings are going to look like. And I know I came on like, you know, oh, the new 120 is 150 and stuff like that. But I'm a. I put those two. I think at a different tier than Bobby Miller right now. I I think this. I think you actually said it. I think this is just people realizing like, oh, we pushed him up a little bit too high. There's more consistent. Yamamoto entered the room, and you know he was able to jump up on those guys and people prioritizing closers maybe a little bit more in NFBC drafts. That I think it might be more important to focus on for Yuri on. How many SP spots did he drop in the SP ranks versus like an overall perspective? Like who did he drop behind that people were changing their mind in more than like how far did he drop on an overall? Right. I don't think I'm going out on a limb or anything here, but if I'm ranking the three, Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez, Grayson Rodriguez, just, you know, the second year pitchers with tons of upside, obviously. I think I'd put Bobby Miller at the top of the list, which yeah, maybe no, that's, that's crazy saying, to say, yeah. but like I, I would go, I would go Miller, then Grayson, then Yuri. Yeah, I think the innings can be better with Bobby Miller. He's with yeah. the Dodgers right now, which is I think that that might literally just be two or three extra wins versus those other two. It's nothing to take away from uh, Grayson or Yuri, but <clears throat> yeah, Bobby is at the top of the list for me. All right, here are the top five ADP fallers that started inside of 100 to 200, and very clearly they have fallen well outside of it. Yanir Cano is down 139 spots from 175 to 314. Obviously, the team signed Craig Kimbrell, so that makes sense. Max Scherzer down 62 spots from 127 to 188. He had back surgery this offseason. That was announced on December 15th. If you look at the ADP just since then, it's 305.6. And I think that makes sense. Like Scherzer is probably going to miss half the season and he's, he's either 40 years old or approaching 40 years old. So uh, yeah, outside of top, top 300, I think that's probably where Max Scherzer should go. These next three are all kind of interesting. Junior Caminero is down 31 spots from 197 to 229. Hunter Green is down 23 spots from 122 to 145. And Welsh, your boy. Wyatt Langford is down 17 spots from 141 to 158. I, I think good, maybe good. with Hunter Green, I think maybe people just kind of were a little too hot on him early on in draft season, and then they realize, all right, he still has a lot of warts. There's injuries there. He gives up a lot of home runs. Especially with the guys that he's around. Yeah. Like, you start to look, you're like, ooh, this guy might have the best strikeouts, but then you look and you're like, hmm. These guys all are healthy and they get wins. And yeah. I'll take Merle. I'd rather have Merle over Hunter Green. Yeah, I, so yeah. I agree. But the other two, like Caminero is, I don't know if he's still playing in the Domin Dominican Winter League, but he played 21 games there already. Yeah. And he's he's got five homers. He's got an OPS over 900. 
I know he doesn't turn 21 until July, but like, I, I think he's going to be up on opening day. You know, what my, I, you know what my gut is about this? I think this is the distinction between people that were doing their drafts early on, taking their shots, and the distinction between people really doing their research. It's right around research time. Yeah. Books are coming out. People are digging in. And what people are doing is they're weighing out risk. Like I know in a, NFBC drafts can be very like risk weighted, but I think that is the period of time over like between November into late December where people step back and be like, okay, I don't know if Langford is going to make it. Can I really take him over? Da, da, da. Junior Caminero, there's no guarantee right now on that roster. Can I do this? Da, da, da. I think it is simply about people understanding the player pool more and not wanting to take those big calculated risks. I guarantee you, White Langford gets that gig and it's announced he's inside the top 100 without question. Uh, Junior Caminero, I actually think Caminero, you did it in a draft we did. You got him like the 200s. And I was like, why did we let that happen? I think he is an easy top 125 on, on power potential. It is purely the unknown and people understanding the player pool more. That's my take on it because I don't think there's any other viable reason. Because like I said, I dug around about the Langford stuff and is from as far as I know, from people that I talked to with the Rangers, that this is viable. Like they are giving him every opportunity and their expectation is that right now. Caminero is a little different story, but that's my take on it. No, I think it's very well said. And again, pointing out a lot of these drafts are 15 team leagues and they are drafted hold formats. There's no waiver wire. So I think you're right in that people are maybe stepping away from the risk a little bit. They want higher floor options. And I get that. Uh, but just to point out again, like if these draft trends continue and they remain consistent into like February and March and it just Turns out that Caminero is outside the top 200 for whatever reason. Look, he does some stuff in spring training. Obviously, he's going to be on the rise or if we get any kind of indication. But if you're drafting now and you want some upside, I think that is like he is the guy to target right now. Caminero, Couldn't agree more. He's going. Could not agree more. Yeah. I'm in on both of these guys. I'm going to take all the discounts because even if they don't make it off of camp, it's within the first month. And the upside is exponential with those players. So I, I agree with you bringing them up. I agree with your take on it. I think... My little logic is just why it's happening, and I think everybody should capitalize on it, unless you're in a league with Frank or I. Yeah. The top fallers from 200 to 300. James MacArthur, reliever for the Royals, is down 69 spots. Not nice. From 264 to 333, the Royals signed reliever Will Smith. So obviously they're going to win the World Series in 2024, or whichever team they trade him to is going to win the World Series. Um, but I think that makes sense with James MacArthur. Jordan Waller from your D-backs is down 41 spots from 247 to 288. The team traded for A. Eugenio Suarez. They re-signed Lourdes Gurriel. So it's kind of throwing a bit of a wrench in things playing time-wise for Jordan Waller. Jake Fraley is down 31 spots, down to 312. Uh, the Candelario signing for the Reds. Again, it kind of created this log jam with, where we got to worry a little bit about Noelvi Marte and Encarnacion Strand and Spencer Steer and all these Will guys. Benson. Yeah, and now Jake Fraley finds himself on the bench. So I think that yeah. makes sense. Eloy Jimenez is down to 242. <laughs> He's only utility, but this feels really late, man. Like the ADP last year was 71. The ADP the year before was 65. I get people might just be done with Eloy Jimenez, but like 242? You look at me in the eye and you tell me 250 is there and Eloy is on there and you're not taking him. Oh, I mean, I have been a sucker for Eloy Jimenez his whole career. I'll 
Why would I'll I stop now at two fifty? Yeah, I'll fall in. <laughs> I mean, let's not have the Buxton conversation, but you know, you get out those two right. hundreds, like I'm gonna be a sucker for that. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna fall over myself to get Eloy, but I agree. Like it's it is crazy, crazy low, and you can wonder what if he is healthy. The only problem is it's like him and Robert and you know, God knows else. I try to name the entire White Sox lineup right now. Oh, not actually, but you know, you know Paul DeYoung starting at shortstop. That Oof. should be fun. <laughs> should be great. Andrew Vaughn, he's he's gonna play. That's cool, right? Those are, those are players. Yeah, they are players. Paul Skeens is the last name worth mentioning here. He's down 27 spots from 291 to 318, and perhaps people just not believing that the Pirates are gonna push him on opening day, which is definitely possible. But we spoke about him recently with our starting pitcher prospects. Anything else to add on this group? Welsh, uh, Skeens, Eloy Jimenez, Jake Fraley. I guess Jordan Lawler is something that you could speak a little bit more to and James MacArthur. Yeah, I mean, I think the Lawler one could be a payoff uh, into the near future. I really, really think we got to get to camp, unfortunately. I do still think there's a path where Lawler is playing, maybe not every day, but on a regular basis. They could move Yohenio into a DH spot. Uh, they've got that DH essentially open. It could go between Lourdes and Yohenio if they'd like, and that would give opportunities for Lawler to play uh, third base. The bat has kind of went away from Perdomo a little bit as well. So I don't think Lawler's done. But the problem is, is he is not going to be handed anything this year and they're not going to wait around for him. So that makes him a little bit less appetizing than a lot of the other prospects we've talked about. But it, I in a, this type of format, I actually would be very willing to take the discount on Lawler because I think there is still a path and this is not done. And guess what? Here's the other path. I know they haven't done it and probably don't, but the Dimebacks wanted to make a move and they wanted to consolidate because Tommy Troy's coming down the line and they traded Lawler. It's going to go to a spot where he's going to get an everyday uh, lineup play. So, I mean, of all the players you're talking about, Eloy speaks for himself, but Lawler's the one that I think has the most potential to like really benefit fantasy teams this year and take the discount uh, late in your drafts. Yeah, top prospect name there with Jordan Lawler. There's power, there's speed. Will he play? Again, I think that's what yeah. people are looking at. Um, but I, I think it's, like you said, man, they could throw Gurriel in a corner outfield spot. They could put Suarez at DH if they wanted to. Obviously, the team likes Geraldo Perdomo a lot. And uh, I get that. Obviously, like he had a great year defensively, offensively. He was he was really good for them. Uh, but there are still paths here. So spring training would tell us a lot more. But if you want to take advantage, Jordan Lawler is someone who is sliding drastically down draft boards right now. We're going to wrap there. For the Welsh, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. 
Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.